The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, and welcome to today's Barron's Live. I'm Abby Schultz, a senior writer at Barron's Penta, and I'm here today with Suzanne Gorgi, Global Head of Art, Advisory, and Finance at City Private Bank. Welcome, Suzanne. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, we're going to talk about the marquee art auctions that are taking place in New York this week and, and this week and next. And at the same time, the city is hosting several art fairs, including Independent and TEFF New York, which uh, open today and they'll be running through the weekend and beyond in the case of TEFF. But, um, but before we get started, just a reminder to our our viewers and listeners to write in any questions you have for Suzanne, and I'll try to get to them before we're done today. So Suzanne, as I mentioned, there's a slew of big auctions this week and next in addition to the fairs. So let's start with the auctions because uh, Christie's held two big ones last night. There were 16 works in the collection of SI Newhouse um, in one sale, and then there was a 20th century evening sale of more than 55 works. I'm not sure exactly how many, but I watched it online. The sale room looked busy. There were lots of winning bids that came from the floor. Um, what were your major takeaways from the sales last night? You know, I you're, you're right that I would I was in the room and the sales room was was full and packed hmm. like pre-COVID. You know, so it was. Um, I'd been to sales in London, which were you know great sales, but more online, and there were fewer people in the room. But it was really nice to see everybody back in the room. And you're also right; there was bidding from the room. Not just not just the phone banks, which was which was great. Yeah, I said a lot of winners came from the room. It yeah. seemed. <laughs> um, any uh, takeaways, just in terms of particular works? Any surprises or interesting? There were there were some big sales. There was the, the right. Henri Rousseau, uh, Le Flamant, uh, which sold for forty three five, I think. Yeah. Uh, some big sales from the Allen Collection. Um, yeah, some interesting. Interesting big sales. Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, we continue to see that the best works do very well at auction. And, you know, and that's that's where, you know, I mean, the Allen sale last fall was a real example of that, where I believe it was five works that sold for over $100 million. Right. And then the, you know, Cy Newhouse collection last night, the Francis Bacon did extraordinarily well. The uh, de Kooning you know, I mean, that was a once in a lifetime opportunity to get a de Kooning, mm. and really de Kooning like that, that really started to shape his whole, whole career. So, right. and, and again, you know, following the once in a lifetime opportunities at Rousseau, you know, I think in our lifetime, we probably won't see another Rousseau of that quality coming, coming to auction. So the fact that there was demand on, you know, on the phones in the room make, makes perfect sense. Right. That people are really, you know, if, if you have the means, people are, are going for the best. There, there was a, um, a little bit of caution, perhaps, in, in that I think that sale was 86% sold, which is strong, but it's uh, some lots didn't sell, didn't, didn't get bits at all, including a Picasso, major Picasso. 
Um, does uh, that point to any, I don't know, hesitancy, do you think, on the part of collectors? Uh, or in a kind of difficult economic uh Global, you know, economic situation globally. There's there's more concern about uh, interest rates, inflation, and the like. Could that be showing up a little bit? Already? You know, I think I think it's a host of things. I mm. think that a lot of it is generational, mm. and that we have um, you know baby boomers that have been driving the market for a long time, that are now now getting older. Um, you know, their collections may be more static or you know, they're getting to the point, the point where that's, we're seeing their collections in the state sales. So, right. you know, the question is, what's the next generation going to be collecting? Mm -hmm. And I think the auction houses, um, dealers, art fairs, everybody is thinking about that and really looking at the next generation. What I find really interesting is that, you know, we have the benefit of working globally and working with families around the world. And we see the next next generation of you know it could be a collector family and the next generation is being very encouraged to go out and collect and very motivated to collect in their own way and that's where we're going to see taste change and you know this has always been the way in the art market that you know collectors are are drivers of the market along with museums and taste does change right so I, I think where we might have seen softening was some of the taste changing a little bit. But that, you know, that said, the Renoir did extraordinarily well. That is true. But, that, uh, well, it, it went for double its yeah, high yeah. estimate, right? Like it went for 12 million instead yeah, of six. Right, exactly. Yeah. And with active bidding, like people wanted it and they were really bidding to get it. Right. It was a beautiful painting. It was a beautiful painting. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that um, surprises me, and I, I still think is an artist that's undervalued, is Jasper Johns. Mm. That, you know, you know, people were saying they were overestimated. But really, in my, in my feeling is that he's an artist people should be looking at. He's such a great artist. And, you know, the work sold, but again, under, under the estimate. Right. From the Sai Newhouse collection. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, so next week there's more auctions. Uh, so many um, at, from Christie Sotheby's Phillips. Um, and there's evening auctions, there's day auctions. Is, is there anything, I mean, it's hard to pick one thing or, or even a few things, but anything you have your eye on for the coming weeks, um, coming week. And uh, it doesn't just have to be a multi-million dollar work. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that at, at Sotheby's, the Mo Austin, Mm. Um, sale. They're beautiful. I mean, they're obviously masterworks in that, but they're smaller works in that sale. And that collection looks like a very tight, really solid collection, um, you know, built by someone who really, really cared about the art. And that's the theme we're seeing through these sales is these are collections coming to market. So Jer Jerry, Jerry Feinberg's collection is another one. And, you know, a lifelong dedicated collector who now his, you know, his estate is, uh, you know, selling that collection, but right. they're gem, they're, you know, they're expensive works in that. And they're also, you know, more affordable gems in that collection as well. And so Mo, Mo Austin was a, a record executive. Um, it, it, is there a work or two that you could mention? Like what, what kinds of things did he collect? Well, the, 
you know, if anyone's in the Sotheby's neighborhood on York and 72nd, <laughs> the, the Magritte's are amazing. They're just, they're, they're knockouts. Yeah. And, and then there's smaller works on paper. I, I believe there's a de Kooning that's really beautiful and other works. Yeah, it's a, it's a treasure to go see. Wow. So, uh, yeah, you mentioned that there's a, a lot of estate collections. So Mo Austin, Jerry Feinberg, there were several collections represented in the sales last night at Christie's, um, in addition to Paul Allen. Um, can you talk about why auction houses are often a place where estates bring art to sell? I think it's, I mean, it's, it's sort of been the common, I mean, that's how auction houses used to function, right? It mm -hmm. was death, divorce, and debt, right? Right. And um, so, you know, there's a precedent for doing it. I think it's an it's a very efficient way to do it because if you have masterworks, and but then you've got lower valued works, it, they can all be sold at auction in different sales. But then you look back to the Donald Marin estate that was sold. COVID throws me off my dates, but I think pre-COVID, right before COVID, actually, yeah, that was ended up selling privately among three galleries that. You know, for that collection, that was a really smart choice. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so I have a question from a listener, George. He is a new, um, a, a new art buyer, uh, and he said that he asked rather if you had a ten thousand dollar budget and you wanted to buy a single piece of art from your desired artist, your favorite artist, what resources would you use um, in order to discover what's currently available on the market? It would be delightful to have that budget. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, if you're, if, if George is in New York, I would go to all, all the art fairs that are in New York. You know, there's Tefat that's on now, Freeze is opening up next week. There's not a, you know, there's so many art fairs going on that, um, you know, it's a great way to see a lot of art at a lot of different price points. And I would talk to a lot of people. I would talk to the dealers, um, you know, really get to know people. And if you have that opportunity to talk to the artists, always, always take that opportunity. But I think that, you know, for me, the, we, I've worked with collectors my whole career. And um, I think the great thing about art is, you know, we, we look at these big marquee auctions and things for, you know, 35 million, 50 million, um, you know, we kind of, you know, something at $400,000, we're like, oh, okay. But the reality is for everybody, there's a price point you can collect at. And you can go out and, you know, meet artists, like really explore the art at whatever price point you can afford. And I think that's the message. And the, the joy is the same, really. And, um, you know, it, it's just, I think it's wonderful for people to get out to the galleries and being in New York is like great because the galleries that are opening up in Tribeca right now, you know, it's a great way to see galleries, um, the Upper East Side, Chelsea. For, for a new buyer too, does it make sense to go online to, are there resources online maybe to, you know, get a handle on the scope of the market maybe or price points, things like that? Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. Actually, people can go on Artsy and mm. pre preview the art fairs before, you know, stepping foot in one. So, um, but I would, 
you know, now that COVID's over, yeah. although during COVID we talked about how the art market had gone digital and yeah. how high res images were so great and people could take videos and, you know, all the access that we had virtually, that worked because it had to work. But I'm noticing that the art market and collectors are really want to be back to real life, hmm. want to be in the room and want to be looking at the art. And so for all the talk about going into the future, I think we've come back to really wanting to stand in front of a work of art. Yeah. Yeah. That's one. And you saw that last night at, at Christie's with a packed sales room. Right. And all the previews were packed. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, speaking of the future, I have another question from, <laughs> question from a listener, Lori, who uh, asked about the art market for NFTs right now. Um, so NFTs are, you know, digital artworks that are recorded on the blockchain um, and they kind of come in two forms. There's the collectible NFTs like CryptoPunks and the like, which um, are unique, but uh, come in, there's thousands of them, <laughs> literally thousands. Um, and then there's sometimes unique art pieces that fine artists have worked on that they record on the blockchain. What are you seeing right now in terms of that market? It like boomed in 21, but kind of crashed a bit last year. I think that people make a mistake just looking at the booms and busts hmm. of, of NFTs and blockchain and digital art. I, I think that it's, you know, we went on a tremendous like ride, but I think it, it's here to stay. And artists are always foreshadowing the future. And, the, and a lot of the future is digital. And what, what I'm finding really interesting right now is these crossover artists. Like I think Refik Anadol that had a piece at MoMA yeah. and is, um, showed at Jeffrey Deitch's gallery in LA. Like he's, he's doing, there's an NFT component. There's a digital component. You've got a physical work in that it's, it's on a screen, but he's like, he's using digital and AI in a way that is really magical. And, um, you know, I'm an oil and painting, oil on canvas kind of person, mm -hmm. but I find these works really moving. Yeah. And uh, so I, I think looking at those artists, there's a lot of opportunity there to really explore new mediums and how they can be used. Yeah. Yeah, his works are beautiful, and in dolls. Yeah. <laughs> they're kind of mesmerizing. Yeah, they're incredible. Um, so we, we've talked, we've touched on this a little bit, but um, just about the kind of the economic backdrop that we're seeing, that we're working in right now. Um, last year, the art market as a whole grew 3% to nearly 68 billion, which is a big number. Uh, that was driven, uh, from what I understand, in, in large part by works that were priced at $10 million or more. And, I'm, and so, again, you know, it's not only a multi-million dollar art world, but do you think that's a trend that will continue this year? Um, particularly if we continue to see masterpieces like the ones that are on the market right now. Well, I think that 10 million and above was largely driven by the Maclow sale and the Paul Allen sale. Yeah. Um, you know, we, but there is a lot of wealth out there mm. for people that have the means to be able to buy a masterpiece. They're going to be expensive. So Right. You know, as these uh, these estates come up, come up, I think we will continue to see the higher value. Um, 
Yeah, no, I, no, I, I think that I think that we will. And and there is, you know, it, it's funny where you know people talk about recession and all of that, but there's also a lot of wealth. People are sitting on a lot of cash, and and I look at art as a wealth holder. And over right. time, art has proved to be a really excellent wealth holder, you know, at the, at the very least. So it's, um, you know, I hate, I, I'm a purist and come from the museum world originally. But, uh, you know, art can be a, a great, great investment for people if, if they're doing it right and they're doing it with, like, good advice and real passion for what they're doing. Right. Um, so I want to turn to the art fairs. There's so many of them in New York. <laughs> um, and so I mentioned Independent and TAFF are open. Uh, there's also Freeze that's opening next week. Right. Nada, Volta, there's probably others. Um, I'm sure there are <laughs> that I'm missing. Uh, what are you looking forward to uh, when it comes to the fairs? And I mean, do you have time to go to them along with the auctions? Well, I, I went to TAFAF yesterday. Oh, great. It was packed. It was great. That's a wonderful fair because it's so tight mm. that there are a lot of dealers there, but their space is, you know, compact yeah and um so the people are bringing their very best and you know it's an incredible it's a great experience to go up to the armory and, and go through that fair and as always the flowers were beautiful as well yeah well I, and one thing i think they're doing this year is um is the flowers i believe this is true that they're they're actually in pots like they're not they'll instead of having cut flowers they are having flowers that will live on after the fair because to be let more environmentally aware. Um, I heard that at a climate talk uh, a couple weeks ago. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to have to look more closely. I don't, I don't know if I saw that actually. Oh, that's interesting. I, have, I did see that in Hong Kong that the, um, around Art Basel that thought there were flowers and pots to be more environmentally, you know, sound i guess yeah yeah no that's interesting yeah. um but at the fairs are there any specific gallery presentations or programming that you're kind of on the on the lookout for or just really just to be there you know i i think um i mean i yeah i, I mean there are things we're looking for for clients uh so specifically oh, yeah so we've done the pre-work on that and um we'll be bringing clients through and, 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 you know, we're not always just to be there. The great thing about an art fair is that you can do all your research on artists that you want, want to specifically look, look at. But when you're at a fair, you'll see an artist out of the corner of your eye that you've never seen before. And that's really the, the great, great opportunity for a fair. Yeah. Just, just discovery. The sense of surprise and yeah, discovery. Yeah. Um, and, and are you finding that collectors and are, and your clients really want to return to the fairs in person again, going kind of back to this theme of seeing art in yeah, person no, versus online. No, definitely. I mean, we've been really like all the fairs since they've opened up, we've had a lot of clients there. And I think the greatest, you know, a lot of like we've moved on from COVID in many ways, but in one way we haven't moved on is everyone's still in sneakers. So that oh. the art is still <laughs> more enjoyable. <laughs> I think I remember talking to you many years ago uh, before Art Basel Hong Kong and you uh, mentioning wearing, uh, the, you know, needing to wear sneakers. And I thought, oh, 
Um, why is that? This when I first started covering the art world, and it became very apparent quickly that that's super necessary, right. given the you know you just are running around the they're they're expansive. There's a lot to see. You want right. you want to be comfortable. So yeah, no, can... I mean, and your mind your mind is so active looking at all the art that you don't want to be thinking that your feet hurt. Right, exactly. <laughs> like totally open to the to the the experience. To the experience. Um, so we mentioned younger collectors earlier. Um, how are they approaching the market these days? And what have you noticed also in terms of how they approach the market versus their parents? You know, the baby boomers. I think from the you know families that we're working with and younger collectors we've met. They, they learn from their parents kind of the ropes of the, mar of the art market and how it works and have a real sensibility of what it's like to live with a collection. Yeah. But are going, going their own way and are, you know, there's so much information that, that people can have now through Instagram, even though it doesn't work quite as efficiently as it used to, but there's so much information being pushed out to people yeah. that you can you can gather so much information just sitting at home, and then what we're noticing collect, younger collectors are very adept at like culling through that, and and you know find, using that as a tool, and then going direct to the dealers, direct to to other collectors or artists, and um, you know and, and working that way. Are you finding that they are willing to like? buy art from artists that may not be that well-known or um, yeah, that high profile that they take risks that way. Yeah, I, risk uh, may be not the right word, but. No, I think they, I mean, what we're finding is they'll find an artist they really believe in mm. and, you know, depending on how, you know, their wealth and their space and things like that. <laughs> but many times we'll collect in depth an artist they believe in that is a new emerging artist and, and really support that artist. And, Which and, is, I think, what our, what collectors have done for generations. So we're seeing it again. Which, just different artists. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> do they do they tend to support younger art, artists of their own generation, or yeah. is it all over the place? It's some. It's. I mean, what we're seeing mostly is artists of their own generation, mm -hmm. but then there are artists like Kenny Sh uh, Sharp who has, you know, come back as a. An art, you know, an artist people really want to collect, and he was active with Warhol and Keith Haring, but now he's having a whole new renaissance. Yeah, he has a Cadillac or something. But it's being sold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh... yeah. During during COVID, he painted a lot of cars that oh. um, when people couldn't really get out. Um, actually, working with Jeffrey Deitch in LA, mm -hmm. painted all the cars that drove around LA during COVID. That's great. Um, and Jeffrey Deitch is a, is a gallerist for those who don't, right. don't know. Yeah. Um, one question I have, just I'm going to go back to auctions again, and, and this is about guarantees, which um, can sometimes drive sales, especially at the high end. So, And that's those are usually the works that are guaranteed, although not entirely. And so what, what guarantees are is a, it's a financial guarantee from the auction house or um, that a painting or sculpture will sell for a predetermined price. Um, like every work in the new house sale last night was guaranteed by Christie's or a third party. We don't know for sure who guaranteed the works, yeah. but can you talk about how that works and why a seller may or may not want to guarantee? 
Sure. Yeah, you know, I, I think back to like, you know, you, when you read about auctions in the 70s, it was a willing seller, a willing buyer, very simple. Yeah. And, um, you know, over the years, guarantees have come in. And, you know, how it would work is if you were a person that, let's say it is an estate, and you really need to, to you know, for your, for your planning to really have an under, like really have an understanding of how much you're going to make on that sale. Yeah. And have a hard number. Guarantees can be very appealing. So, you know, what it is, is it would be the auction house can guarantee. And then you, you, you know what, what the sale proceeds are going to be. But what's happening is the auction houses to you know, mitigate their risk are offsetting these guarantees. So there are a lot of people that want to get into the third party guarantee market. And so they'll come in and, and you know, take, offset the auction houses guarantee, and then they'll get a percent of the upside. So guarantees were very, very popular, and so many people wanted to be, you know, they, they were collectors, but they also yeah. wanted to guarantee works because if you hit it right, the upside can be remarkable. But what we're noticing is, noticing is that there are, there still were a lot of guarantees in these sales, but there, there are fewer guarantees, and yeah. we're actually working with clients that prefer not to do the guarantees right now but are actually um, negotiating and, you know, taking the, ham the, the hammer and a little bit, little enhancement. So, you know, mm -hmm. an enhanced hammer. So it's a gamble, but people are, you know, are weighing both sides. And why are you, why do you think that shift is taking place? I think partially, you know, everyone says, oh, the recession, this and that. I think partially it, it harkens back to a lot of people have a lot of money mm -hmm. and, and can take the risk. Yeah. And, you know, and are, you know, it, it adds, it adds, I mean, it, it adds sort of drama to the sale if you don't exactly know what, you know, where it's going to come out rather than having the guarantee where you know exactly what's happening. Um, I was going to, I was going to ask you a question related to this. I, I, the enhanced hammer you mentioned that, uh, could you explain that? Like, what is an enhanced hammer? So uh, if, you know, and this has happened when we've been selling for clients that, you know, everything's a negotiation and the auction houses aren't, are competing against each other. So they'll offer the hammer price, which is when the hammer falls and a percent enhancement, which could be six, eight, you know, plus percent. Okay. Okay. So that could be a really good deal for a seller. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so a, another question from a listener, the actually two listeners who are asking about fractional ownership platforms. Um, what, uh, so these are, these are different. There's a bunch of different kinds They they allow investors to buy a share in a, in a work of art instead of buying a whole work of art. So most people can't buy a hundred million dollar Picasso, um, or a 43, a $44.5 million Rousseau, mm -hmm. <laughs> But they could buy maybe, you know, a few hundred dollars worth of one or a few thousand dollars right. worth of one. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, personally, um, and, and I think that any any collector that's looking at buying fractional or, you know, buying 100% of something has to do their homework and has to really understand, you know, on the fractional side, have to really understand the terms that they're entering into. 
and you know and re- all the fees and and you know do your homework do your math yeah the art market is a great place to be but it's all, wherever you're however you're transacting in it it's a buyer beware market um and and for some people it's very appealing to be able to say i own a third of a basquiat or or whatever so i uh you know, I understand why there's a market for it, and um, I just think people need to do their homework and understand how it, you know, the fees involved, how it's going to play out, and you know, and we'll see where the where the fractional market goes. I think that you know, with blockchain, there's a real opportunity, not just for fractional ownership, but also just for you know, there's a lot of art lending in the world where people use their art as collateral for loans. Right. You know, there, I think that, you know, I think blockchain fractional, like, I think blockchain in general, if it's done right, and I'm very optimistic that it's going to be done right, mm-hmm. will will be the, the future for the art market in a really good way that will include, you know, provenance, um, the records of sale, everything to really, you know, be a firm ground for, for the market. Yeah, that's interesting because blockchain, it's, it's not just about recording artworks or on the blockchain, but it's also about provenance. Um, there's some companies that are actually, could you talk about that a little bit? I know that there are a couple of companies out there that are using blockchain in order to, I guess, track the provenance. Um, and, and by provenance, we mean. The history, you know, history of ownership and, and uh, sales and things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, ideally with the contemporary market, if when people buy things at a gallery, if, if it is recorded on blockchain, then you've got a recorded sale. So yeah. you don't have people talk about like, oh, you need a certificate of authenticity for this, this artist. And we're in this paper world where you get a certificate that's paper. Like why shouldn't that be recorded on the blockchain? That you bought it, your certificate is now on the blockchain, the price you paid, where you bought it. And then if you sell it, all of that is moving to the seller. I think, including the certificate and the history of ownership, if there's any exhibition history, publication history, it can all be there. And, you know, I think it would be a brilliant future because people that are valuing art, authenticating art, spend a lot of time in libraries, which is great, and going into catalog resumes, doing this research over and over and over again. And if we can get to a point where we've got clean research and we know it's good to be able to have it on blockchain would be incredible for the future for the art market for artists for museums right because even in this day and age that that those questions of of provenance really matter we there's still fraud that can happen where you don't really where it's not clear where a work of art came from and Um, the certificates really matter Right. And certificates, you know, if they're a piece of paper, they get lost. They can get lost. Right. And they're, and you know, for many artists that you were able to get a certificate early on, but the estates aren't doing it anymore. So, mm. you know, this is my plug for doing this on blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> well, thanks, Suzanne. Uh, it's been fun to, really fun to speak with you. And uh, thank you for giving us your expert perspective on the art world at this exciting time of year. <laughs> we appreciate it. Thanks, Abby. It's always a pleasure talking to you. 
Um, and to our listeners, please join us again on Monday when Barron's Senior Managing Editor Lauren Rublin and Deputy Editor Ben Levison discuss the outlook for financial markets, industry sectors, and individual stocks. Have a great weekend. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.